Welcome to the CCF Podcast. We're a campus ministry at Truman State University. This podcast features sermons from our weekly worship services. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Uh, we continue on post spring break. Sunday's still happening with some testimonies. Oh, man. It's just the best thing that happens. <clears throat> Grounded, wordsmith, constant, just rock solid, librarian or not, Lydia Donaldson. Not a librarian. I don't have the degree. Hello. Okay, before I start talking, first of all, I tend to talk really fast when I get nervous, so if I am talking too fast, someone just do like a, like a this symbol or do a, like Keevan, just do like a sign or gesture, yeah. <laughs> just yell at me, just start yelling at me in front of the congregation. Oh my gosh, yeah, a little about me. Hi, hello, my name is Lydia Donaldson. I am not in fact a librarian, but I do work at Pickler Memorial Library. Uh, after I graduated in spring of 2021 with a Bachelor of Fine Arts in Creative Writing, I stayed here because I wanted to make money and not have to pay a lot of money in rent. Um, what else do I have on my notes here about me? Oh yes, I've been a part of CCF here uh, since my first semester, uh, which was in the fall of 2017. Um, my sister, who was here before me, brought me in uh, to this. She is back there, right there, right there. I'm going to embarrass her. There she is, right there. Also my brother-in-law, Trey. There he is, right there. Um, speaking of them, uh, as is traditional, here's pictures of my family. Uh, that's probably the latest picture of all of us all together. Uh, that on the left is my little sister, Sophia. She's four years younger than me. She's going to college somewhere else because she had to be different. Uh, that's my dad, that's Dave, he is a preacher man. That's Trey, he's also right there. That's Abby, she's also right there. Abby is a few years older than me, but she skipped a couple grades, so she graduated a lot before I did. Um, there's my mom, Sherry, she can do literally everything in the entire world. And that's me. Um, yeah, just general pictures of us. You can see how we are a little bit as a family. We like to laugh a lot, uh, the three of us siblings goof off quite a bit, as you can see from our J.C. Penney's Jedi photo shoot up there. <laughs> uh, you might also notice that a couple of these are from a wedding. It's because Abby and Trey got married a little less than a year ago, so there's lots of pictures from that. Speaking of which, here's one of my favorite ones from the wedding. Um, <laughs> that's a good question, Noah, what is happening? Uh, we were in the process of signing as official witnesses, and I'm doing business stuff. I don't know what Noah's talking about back there. He's got, obviously got opinions about something. I don't know. Derek's back there talking to someone else, and in the background there's a child ramming her head into her very pregnant mother's leg. There's just a lot going on in the photo, and I like it. Uh, yeah, it was an interesting wedding. It was a fun wedding. It was the last time I had to speak publicly. Uh, okay, something good to know about me uh, that will be important for this talk, just, uh, just going forward from this point, uh, is that I like to have answers. I like to understand the world, uh, my place in it, my relationships to others, and when I don't have the answers, it stresses me out. 
especially when it comes to faith questions. Like if you're like me, and maybe not all of you are like me, I'm gonna say a lot of things in this talk that may not be universal statements, so bear with me. Uh, if you're like me, faith is a very huge foundational aspect of how you see the world and how you make decisions. So I don't like it when there are questions about my faith that I can't answer. Uh, so when I asked Reed, well, when Reed asked me to do this talk, I asked him, is there any kind of thematic prompt? Is there like a, like a, like a particular thing I'm supposed to talk about? He just said, talk about God and how he has affected your life or something to that effect. It was very, very nice and broad. So we are also going to be broad with some broad questions. And I'm going to talk about how those questions have been relevant to my life. Therefore, behold the questions. Who is God? Or what is God? Or where is God? Or I'll do you one better, why is God? There he is. That's the first Google result picture for God. There he is. Uh, of these questions, why is God uh, is probably the easiest to answer for me, especially as a kid. Um, a couple things about me, again. I was a homeschooled preacher's kid, uh, which means a lot of my oh, education had a biblical filter. We learned history with a religious and biblical context. We learned science with the assumption that the world was created in six days, God resting on the seventh. Uh, we learned that all the details of his design were intentional and beautiful, fearfully and wonderfully made. The world is beautiful and complicated and perfectly systematically designed, and that had to be done on purpose. Therefore, there must be a god. So what kind of god? Well, looking at the pretty universal desire we all have for right and wrong, for fairness, it seems that we are built with an innate moral code. The god in the Bible matches up with that moral code, and the principles of justice and consideration that he puts forth would be a fantastic world system if we all followed them perfectly. And there's his forgiveness to catch us when we don't. So the God of the Bible is the one who exists. There we go. Nice, simple worldview. Let's wrap it up and go home, folks. Yeah. Uh, if you couldn't guess, I probably had something of a preacher's kid complex when I was younger. Uh, feeling like I had to have all the answers. Dad was the pastor at a small non-denominational church, uh, which is why we moved to my hometown when I was two. I grew up in as one of the very few children in that church. It was a much older population. Uh, usually it was just me and my sisters, sometimes the occasional visiting grandchild. We were the first two events and the last to leave, and since mom was the church secretary, we the siblings spent a lot of weekend afternoons, or weekday afternoons, sorry, uh, goofing off in the Sunday school classrooms while both our parents worked. We spent a lot of time in that church building. Uh, I got baptized when I was nine, not because I felt called to live my life for the Lord, but because I was afraid of going to hell. <laughs> I want to clarify, I wasn't raised on fire and brimstone teaching, and no one told me I was going to hell. I just had a very practical approach to eternity as a nine-year-old. I was, I realized I was old enough to be responsible for my actions, therefore I better get fireproof. I wasn't expecting people to laugh at that. I knew the problem, I had the answer, time to get dunked. Uh, being homeschooled and a preacher's kid, meant I received, as I said, a more intensive biblical education than many of my peers. Not too many kids had to rec recite the entire Sermon on the Mount, all three chapters, from memory to pass eighth grade. Uh, when Abby and I started getting into middle school, the church had trouble finding people to teach Sunday school for us because we already knew all the curriculum. We already knew the answers. The answer is usually, don't give in to peer pressure and Jesus. Uh, here's another angle to look at. I was a Proverbs person, not a Psalms person. Uh, so we're we looking up at these. These chords are going to trip me up. 
looking at the Proverbs, uh, let's just read Proverbs on this side. Proverbs 10, 2 through 4, if y'all want to read with me. Uh, Ill-gotten treasures have no lasting value, but righteousness delivers from death. The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Okay, nice and straightforward, pretty simple instructions. If this thing happens, that thing happens. If you do this thing, this thing will happen. God likes this and doesn't like this. Nice, plain, and simple. Uh, then we have the Psalms. This is Psalm 18, one through three, if y'all wanna read. I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I am saved from my enemies. And it's just not bad. It's just, you know, there's not a lot of instructions there. Like, sure, it's good. It doesn't contradict the Proverbs. Uh, you know, God is my rock in whom I take refuge. But, like, what do you do to have God, to, to make God your refuge? Like, what am I supposed to do in my day-to-day -day life? Uh... So I may be in the minority here, but who here prefers the Psalms over the Proverbs? Show of hands. Okay, okay, decent mix, decent mix. Who here uh, prefers Proverbs over Psalms? It's like three people in the back. <laughs> Reads up there, of course he is. <laughs> yeah, I kind of figured. So I liked reading the Proverbs because it was simple. Instructions, you do the right thing, God will approve of you and things will go okay. That's the right way to be and that's the right, safe, sensible way to go about your life. Uh, I remember feeling stressed out at summer camp, uh, church camp, about memorizing the most verses or knowing the most trivia. I felt like I had to be right, I had to have all the answers, I had to be the best. I was a preacher kid, I was homeschooled, I had to be better. Uh, as I got older, I started feeling more disengaged from the other kids at church camp. Uh, might have been the homeschooling, might have been the preacher kid complex, might have been my natural introversion or a complicated mess of the three, probably that. Uh, but I started having more trouble making friends there. In particular, I started having more trouble engaging with the emotionally charged aspects of church camp, like worship nights and baptisms. I am not always super in touch with my feelings, which I'm learning the ins and outs of now. Uh, but I used to take a lot of pride in being above it all, not crying at movies or when I got upset, you know, keeping it all under control. Keep moving the mic. Uh, but when everyone else was raising their hands and getting choked up during worship, I felt like there was a wall between me and that. I was missing something here. One of the few times a baptism did choke me up, I remember clinging to the thought that only something so, so real could affect me like this, in a way kind of trying to persuade myself that this experience was real, which was a weird thought to have. I'd never not believed. I had the right answers, I was on the right side, I had all the information. Why would I be persuading myself that my beliefs were a real thing? Uh, there was obviously some big things I was missing, namely the difference between believing in God and having faith in him. Uh, my faith, or beliefs, or whatever it was, took the first big hit when my dad got fired from the church I'd grown up in. I was about 14 when mom and dad sat us down to explain that the church had met up privately and decided they wanted my dad to resign. I translated that to, oh, they fired him. They fired him. They can call it whatever they want, they fired him. That was a devastating blow to my family for a few different reasons. Uh, financially, both of my parents were out of a job and money had been tight for years because the church could never afford to pay dad's full paycheck anyway, and a tenth of what we got just went back into the plate and then went back into his paycheck and then went back into the plate and, yeah. <laughs> uh, emotionally, we'd just been kicked out of our church. These were people I'd been raised by. 
They met up in someone's house and they sat down where we'd had New Year's parties and Bible studies to discuss firing my dad. We'd shared gardens with some of them. We, we were friends with their grandkids. We did garage sales together. The wife of one of the elders who was part of that meeting always made the best chocolate chip cookies for fellowship dinners and events. We had to go back for one last service, a sort of farewell service so dad could officially deliver his resignation to the church body. I don't remember a whole lot about the day. I don't remember what dad talked about. I'm pretty sure we left pretty quickly afterwards, which was a novelty. Uh, the one thing I do remember is that elderly lady, the one who made the amazing cookies, uh, who had been privy to the meeting where they decided to fire my dad, coming down her usual row in front of us and going, hi, girls, like it was a normal Sunday and they hadn't just betrayed our family. And I remember responding with a flat, hi, and watching the smile fade from her face before she turned to sit down. Where is God? Where is God? Not here. People of God don't do this. I understood and I didn't understand. There had always been tension between the changes my dad wanted to make, the challenging approach to learning and spiritual growth he was trying to take, and the small, older population in the church who wanted a traditional service every Sunday. My dad used to preach from music stand, a lot like this, uh, in front of the pews. And when he went back to clean out his office a couple days later, one of the first things he noticed was that they'd taken the big, chunky pulpit and moved it back to the center of the stage where it used to be. Oh yeah, and it wasn't a one and done deal, like we go there for the last service and then we leave and we never come back. No, 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 we had to keep coming back to the chapel building to help dad clear things out, to straighten things up, to haul things out of his office, and it was a multi-stage, multi-day process. We kept having to go back to that building where God used to be, but he isn't anymore, because all the hours and hours I spent there as a kid playing with my siblings while mom and dad were working, and a lifetime of memories with the people in this church, you know, decorating for Christmas and growing up in these pews and getting baptized like right over there, felt like a lie. Was God ever here? Where is he? Why would he let this happen? Where are we supposed to go now? Dad started searching for a new position as a minister. Uh, we hopped around that corner of the state most Sundays, uh, visiting new churches, and most of the time not coming back for a second Sunday. We stayed at this one small church for a few months while dad was on probation as a candidate for the pastor, but ultimately they decided he wasn't what they're looking for, and they left stopped going to that church too. Mom and dad became chaplains of the nursing home, but then things went sour there, and they got laid off again. Around this time, there's a bunch of other rocky stuff happening. Um, my older sister, Abby, was going to college for the first time. Uh, she was the first one to move out. I was transitioning from homeschooling to going full-time at public school, which was a culture shock. Not terrible, because I knew a few people, but still not you know, the best. I was plenty academically smart, but I didn't really know how to connect with most people. I made a few new friends, but I mostly clung to the people I already knew. I definitely walked around with the assumption that I wouldn't like other people and other people wouldn't like me. Uh, the next big hit to my faith came soon after that. Uh, growing self-esteem issues and a fear of rejection compounded when a close friend who I depended on a lot, uh, one of the very people, few people I actually talked to, started ignoring me. Just straight up pretended I wasn't in the room. Didn't respond when I tried to join the conversation, just like acted I didn't, like I didn't exist. That and general loneliness and the buildup of everything else that had been happening over the last couple years kind of sent me into a tailspin of self-loathing. Evidently, I wasn't worth talking to or sticking with. I felt angry and mean and ugly and unpleasant and utterly unlovable. So my question stopped being, where is God, and turned into, what is God? More precisely, what kind of God would let me feel like this? What kind of God would make me like this? I had all the knowledge 
all the information, all the right answers, and it had gotten me nowhere. It got my family nowhere. I still felt horrible. I would make it through a day, and then late at night, I'd be alone in the dark basement, staring into the mirror and just whisper screaming at God, why am I like this? What kind of God are you to have made me like this? Unwanted, unworthy, unpleasant, unlovable, someone who no one really likes. What kind of God are you to make promises about loving me and saving me, and here I am being like this? I don't see the point. I don't understand. I hate myself, so what kind of God would make me? Maybe there isn't a God. If there is a God, why won't he answer? What kind of God wouldn't answer? I listened to the silence and heard nothing back, so for a few days, I did consider that God didn't exist. Went through the day, sitting through classes, eating lunch, more classes than home, feeling the empty space left by a non-existent God. I talked to a non-Christian friend about what he believed, but his pseudo-karma, good deeds leading to good things belief felt hollow to me. Like hollow and sad and pointless. If I think about it now, well, that wasn't that different from what I believed as a kid. So I went back to the why. Why is there a God? The world doesn't make sense without a God. Therefore, God is here. It's how I feel inside that doesn't make sense with God. So I said to God, okay, you're here, you're there. I don't know what that means. I don't know who or what or where you are, but okay, you're, you're there. I guess I'm just going to keep going. I learned to make more friends. I leaned into choir and theater as something I cared about at school. I got a job. I got older. Things got better, little by little. My parents found new jobs, so we weren't afraid of going broke anymore. I was blessed to become closer to a particular friend who would talk me through self-loathing spirals at 2 a.m., so Grant, if you ever listen to this recording, I will never stop being grateful for that. And when I got to college, I started coming to CCF. I had to fight through all the old issues, uh, feeling unwanted and unknown, fearing rejection, simply being afraid to trust a new church or even wanting to build a new church family. But I learned more and experienced more and started to unpack a lot of things. My past experiences, my perception of myself, the way I assume people see me, my, the expectations I set for myself. The answers that I thought I had were mostly wrong. I'm not unlovable. I don't have to earn people's interest and affection. People do genuinely like me without me having to do anything to earn it. I still have to work to believe that sometimes. And a church can be messy and people can have disagreements, but that doesn't have to be the end of the church family. It was a very impactful experience my freshman year here at Truman to see uh, D-Roar publicly, <laughs> publicly apologize for getting too heated at a powder puff game and as penance get tackled by one of the girls in front of the entire congregation. It was great. I could be different than I thought. A church could be different than I thought. And other followers in Christ could be different than I thought. And so I became ready for the next question. Who is God? What kind of person is he? And what does it mean to follow him, to be in a relationship with him? You can't simply know all the right answers because he doesn't often give you answers. I learned here at CCF, especially through the wisdom book series, that the Bible really isn't a book of answers, it's a book of wisdom. And wisdom doesn't always apply to the same to every situation. Even the Proverbs, the cut and dry, simple statements of right and wrong aren't applicable to every situation. And some of them even contradict each other. Like, Look at these two. These two. Want to read them out loud? It's Proverbs 26, 4 through 5. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. Back to back, directly contradicting each other. What? What am I supposed to do with that? 
So who is God? How do we figure out who God is from a book of wisdom and not answers? In scripture, God compares himself to a father, a king, an artist, a shepherd, but those are just comparisons. Metaphors trying to describe the unique relationship of God to humanity. We can also look at examples of what he's done, uh, not just how other people describe him, what he's done. Actions speak louder than words, as they say. Uh, so looking to stories in the Bible, he is a God who clothed his disobedient children before he had to separate himself from them. He's a God who chose a washed up 80 year old exiled prince to lead a nation into the desert. He's a God who chose the, next king, the first king of that nation from a tribe that had just gone through a mess of kidnapping and murder that almost left them extinct. He's a God who watched his people fall in and out of relationship with him, be carted away to foreign lands and endure oppressive empire after oppressive empire. And when they cried out for a new king to lead them or a soldier to bring them back their freedom and dignity, he sent them a strange nobody, supposedly born of a virgin, who refuses to play by the world's rules. Who does that? When he comes down to earth, it's not to fix our problems or give us any answers or provide us any explanation, not really. It's just to be with us while it happens, to create a way to bring us back to him. Even people in the Bible who God uses directly, like prophets who hear his voice, are confused by this. When Jesus' own cousin, the much-anticipated prophet who was meant to prepare the way for him, John the freaking Baptist, asked for clarification for a straight answer, Jesus didn't give him a straight answer. He just said this. This is Matthew 11, 2 through 6. Y'all want to read it with me? Now, when Jesus or John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you have heard and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Basically, all he says is, see for yourself. Okay, so let's see for ourselves. Besides what's in the Bible, how can we see who God is? How does he reveal himself to us in real time? I know a lot of people here feel his presence while worshiping. That's never really done it for me. I don't know why. I've also heard people talk about hearing him when they pray. I don't really ever hear him either. Mostly, I've seen God through the people he's put in my path, giving me what I needed at just the right time. Moving here as a freshman, fresh out of all the insecurities and craziness of high school, I wound up rooming with this incredible girl named Valerie Winkler. The two of us could not be more different people. She was a chemistry major and a cheerleader, and I was a nerd studying creative writing, so obviously we would have nothing to talk about. Very wrong, I was very wrong. I was dumb and wrong. We fit together inexplicably well, and we lived together for all four years of undergrad. I learned and grew so much with and through her. She has made me a better person. Uh, my first spring break, when I had basically no friends and still felt really unwanted and unseen, a senior girl, Jojo Dats, who I barely knew, wrote me an encouragement note that said she felt led to tell me that I was seen, that I was wanted, and that there was a place for me. One of the coolest people I have ever met, Robin Schrader, picked me out of the crowd and asked to disciple me one-on-one -on -one a couple years later. She helped me gain a lot of confidence and self-esteem through just like talking me through stuff, being willing to hear what was going on in my head. And it was so impactful to have someone just choose me out of the crowd when I didn't feel worthy or noticed. I found friends who sit with me when I'm overwhelmed and crying, who reassure me that yes, they do want me around even when my brain keeps saying the opposite and loathes the idea of asking for help. I've had friendships that broke and got back together again, sometimes different, sometimes better than before, 
because we love each other in spite of the obstacles and inconveniences of being human. I've been mentored and supported and taught new things and given time and interest. I've had so many late night conversations on life and love and what it means to pursue God. And sometimes I still feel alone and unlovable, but it is a shadow compared to what it was. Because God conspired to bring people into my life who give me the love I needed, the mercy and the patience and the understanding, despite my presuppositions about the world and who I was and what I needed. So many of the things I believed about my life, my answers were blatantly untrue. He threw weird and unexpected people into my path in weird and unexpected place, and he showed me a new church family when I didn't think I'd have one again. Hint, hint, that's you guys. Even the ones I don't know super well. We're family now. You can't help it. Deal with it. Why is God? Because the world is his wonderful, unexpected, unpredictable design. Where is God? He is here, and he is with you when you are in trouble and he is with you when you are alone, and he is with those who you struggle to forgive. What is God? He is a mystery of lifelong pursuit, and he doesn't make sense from our perspective. Who is God? I don't know for sure yet. I think I'm gonna spend the rest of my life learning the answer to that question. His love and care and wisdom shines through his people, and you won't see him unless you're looking. Those aren't the bulletproof answers my kid self wanted to have, and to be honest, it still bothers me. If someone stopped me on the street and asked, why do you believe in God? I'd have to stutter for a while and be like, because he is how he's affected my life. Because there aren't often hard, solid answers. Jesus didn't give John the Baptist a bulletproof or bullet point list of unquestionable truths. He hasn't tried to disprove your confusion and doubt. He just says, come, see for yourself.